The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. It's like a startling reaction to some of the design that's come out of that period. And I feel like there's references everywhere. You know, that time period of the Accutron, the 60s. It's like you look at Tesla. Like that to me, there's 60s references across that brand. The voice you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, Timo Weiland, an American fashion designer, disc jockey, and entrepreneur, as well as the co-founder and creative director of the Timo Weiland brand. But first up, I'm Bill McCuddy, along with culture writer Scott Alexander and editor David Graver. We're discussing the many facets and evolution of fashion in America. All that and more on the episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. What does it take to be a fashion designer these days? Did you have to start out as a DJ? Our guest is going to tell us. I'm Bill McCuddy, joined as always by David Graver and Mr. Scott Alexander. I'm right here, Bill. Timo Weiland is uh, a fascinating guy and somebody that uh, you're, David, you introduced us to. Tell me a little bit about him and also, is he typical or atypical these days? I think with regard to being a young designer, he's typical. He's typical in that he's got his hands in a lot of pots. He's doing collaborations with other brands. He's he's lending his his core creative talent to projects for hotels and for eyewear. And in order to succeed as a small independent designer, you kind of have to go down that route today. It's no longer just making a sweater or selling 13 types of sweaters. You have to do it all. Well, he's typical in that way, but then his designs, I think, are atypical. Standing out is sort of his superpower. Most definitely. But does that matter anymore? Do we care about designers? I mean, as still as a country, do we, do we have to have a label on it or do we want to have our own style? There's a cult of fandom around designers and brands and labels and even creative directors as they switch from one house to another. People follow that creative director more than they follow that brand. I would Tom say labels yeah, are more important than ever before. And, and exactly right, David, that even individual designers. And design houses, I started to say, Tom Ford coming out of Gucci. I mean, is that happening more and more and more that the, the big names are becoming the factories for these young, exciting new designers? Gucci right now is the hottest brand. I mean, everyone wants Gucci because of Alessandro Michel. Like, he is such a creative force. He's helping to find not only trends in clothing, but in the way people wear their clothes and how they identify what, as they wear their clothes. I can never introduce you to my wife. I don't, I don't want her knowing that everyone <laughs> needs this now. <laughs> I, I, I'm so fascinated, though, by fashion because it feels like exactly what you said. Designers define trends. Trends are, by definition, followed by large numbers of people. And then... The, the task of the designer is to define a new trend that is in opposition to the old trend. So when do you get off the train of like, I'm very on trend right now, but now being on trend is actually doing the opposite? A lot of that, I think, must have to do with the fact that they're tasked with so many collections per year. It's not just mm. spring and summer anymore and fall and winter. It's resort. It's it's couture. It's so many different executions of your inspirations every single year. I'm also guessing it's far less about brick and mortar and more about e-commerce. 
Uh, we'll talk to him about that as well and, and how he got his start. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by someone who has was a DJ or still probably does DJ. And uh, is, <laughs> this other side thing is he has this massive company. And I'm also interested to learn about all the collaborations because I think in the old days, designers were very much their own person. They didn't listen to anybody else. You had the Calvin Kleins and the Tommy Hilfigers and probably Ralph Lauren as well at the beginning. And now I think more and more designers are collaborating with other people. He'll tell us about that as well. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I still have the same pair of khakis I've had for the last 20 years. How often do you guys... <laughs> yeah, but you're on the radio, bro. <laughs> how, how, how often do you edit your own wardrobe? How often do you go into your own it's closet? It's a constant evolution. Um, I, and I really is a matter of picking and choosing. And I actually, I'm not a style innovator. I'm a style follower. I will go into the stores where I know they're going to have good taste and curate just because I don't have the energy to do that. Like I'm, I'm putting all my energy into the creative work. I do the stuff I've trained myself to do. I did not train to dress myself. So I'm going <laughs> to let the smart people do it for me. Graver, you've got uh, a lot of turnover in your closet, I'm guessing. I do. And that's actually less to do with who I am and more to do with what I do. I get sent so many types of jeans and denim to review or so many sweaters, jackets, apparel to try and explain to people what's going on in the world of fashion because storytelling is the most important part of fashion. We're, I mean, que we're queuing up the violin right now. To, yeah, to, <laughs> quote, to quote Kanye West, fashion breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's also all about tradition and uh, obviously we talk about Accutron on this show and the 60s. I'm really interested to know whether or not his line is influenced by it and how he thinks other designers are influenced by that particular period in time. You know, I think Timo's definitely going for, as he puts it, classic with a twist. And I do think, especially for menswear, we're kind of drawn to the same thing we've always been drawn to. You know, uh, two s sleeves on each shirt <laughs> and uh, the holes at the end of the pant legs. If he's got a navy blazer and khakis in his line, I'm in. We'll find out when uh, Timo Island joins us on the Accutron Show right after this. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world. Timo Wallen, welcome to the Accutron show. We're happy you're here. Thank you for having me. I love the name. I'm a big fan of everyone in the room. So, <laughs> Well, <laughs> we'll change that. We'll, we're, <laughs> Good. I do have to, I, I want to throw it out there that I met Timo, I think, what, 2008, 2009 mm -hmm. at the Tribeca Grand Hotel. And you approached me, you were just designing bow ties, and you approached me with a business card that was just a tie, your mm -hmm. name, and your phone number. How did you go from designing <laughs> ties to having um, this epic label of yours? You know, it's actually, it's such a funny ride that we have been on as a company. It's all the same people, all the same people that know and love you since, I want to say it might have even been just a little before 2008. Um, you know, the ties came about because we were like, we want to start with something concise, like something that isn't going to cost hundreds of dollars to produce per unit. Like, you know, I was always thinking about it on the business side because I worked on Wall Street simultaneously to DJing and, and launching this. And um Yeah, so people who don't know, you are a DJ also. Yeah. You you wear a, you wear many fashion hats. Bunch of hats. Yeah. And of course yeah. an investment banker. <laughs> Former investment banker. Now I just love 
startup companies. I love founders. I love people who are, you know, getting out of bed and excited to do whatever they're doing. So that's like, you know, I think Alan and Donna inspired me to like be more excited about what I was doing. My co-founders in the team of Wyland Brand. And I was just like, there's no one better to partner with me on this and let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Right out of the gate, we attracted the interest of Barney's New York, which for us was kind of like the stamp, let's go and, and really try to do a full lifestyle. Was that with the ties? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had their attention and the fashion director is a huge proponent of like sustainability in addition to emerging talent. So like for us, we were just in love with her. And, um, you know, Barney's was, will always be in at least a lot of our minds, fashion industry minds, just as arbiter of... Taste, style. Taste. What's valuable. Absolutely. And they just took risks that were calculated risks, but it was just this very, it was to us a goal. I've been shopping, I mean, I was shopping there when I was just like... Wow, I would walk in in the 90s and just be like, what am I even looking at? It was an experience. People listening to this who were never in Barney's may not know exactly what it was. but Sort of like Willy Wonka's factory, but for fashion. (laughs) They were your first retailer was Barney's? Wow, congratulations. It's a pinch still, even though they're they're gone for now, the bankruptcy, et cetera. Like, it's still a pinch yourself moment, even all these years later. We... um, we launched, I owe a lot of that to one of my best friends, Lauren Painter, who I know you know, and um, the fashion director, Julie Gilhart, Tomoko Ogura. Um, they were mentors, and we really launched and learned a lot that first season. Um, what do you think Barney's. got Barney's to notice the ties you were making? Well, we did not shy away from launching with a splash. Like, mm-hmm. we were, I kind of... Because Alan and I were DJs, we were just like, all right, we got to throw an event of some kind. And um, one of my interns and and current still, you know, like family type friends was um, Robin Williams' son, uh, Zach Williams. So he was working with us. Robin was super excited about what we were doing. So he was like the first person at the launch event and the last person to leave. Wow. And he was... um, And Robin wore the ties? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. (laughs) And we had maybe 575 people there, maybe like almost 600 people. And it was like just a lot of emerging uh, just creatives in New York City. And then there was Robin Williams. And then there was a lot of just kind of like arbiters of like uptown meets downtown. Like a lot of kids I grew up with, uh, splitting time partly here in the city to just new downtown. Like, let's just like go get rowdy friends, um, which Alan, <laughs> I mean, we were DJing together and really crafting this like me, like a group of muses that were just like, so next level inspiring to us. Like the music element of our creative process has never left. Like we still DJ, but it's like, it's more about just us like sourcing. We've always had the same kind of reference universe, like, you know, just kind of looking around and it's all music. It's like a tribe called Quest. You produce in New York City. We do a lot here. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. How do you go from ties to a menswear and womenswear? Yeah. So sorry, I I definitely had like a roundabout. (laughs) Um, You know, we're all about the roundabout. (laughs) It it came from our friends. We were in the East Village playing DJ gigs, like the one that you were at, 
And it was like the Strokes and then like their girlfriends and put the two in the room. And it was not just, you know, cis male, cis female. It was like, even then, uh, quite a gender fluid group. So we always had this like tomboy, pretty aesthetic for the girls, borrowed from the boys, like, you know, just, and also we never really subscribed to like purely menswear, purely women's wear. So there was a lot of crossover. And we um, started with the accessories and then it was like the rest of the look. All of this from a card yeah. uh, and a tie line. Uh, <laughs> and the card, it's funny that you brought up the card because I'm still close with our art director at the time who we sat down and we were just like, we got to make this different. And from the sew label to the card you're talking about, we made it all flow together. But I love that boldness, and you still see it in the in the line in the new in the 2020 line. There's this freshness and boldness, and this un, this willingness to sort of step out from the mainstream and say, "No, like this is this this is the vision." Yeah. Was that there? You feel like that was there at the beginning? Always, always. I have to say, both Alan and Donna are like geniuses, and they inspire me. We all have other things going on in our lives now. We like relish the moments that we have to like work together on this company and it's growing and it's pivoted. And but we each have several other ventures that we have. And and Donna and I do a lot of consulting together on the side, same with Alan. But um it's it's really this um what we've done with the pivot to address your your point. There's a lot of like the DNA is never gonna change, but it's um much more clean, crisp, there's a simplistic kind of uh, evolution of it because what we do now is uh, tailoring and essentials. Mm. Uh, We don't say menswear, we don't say womenswear, we just say tailoring. Is that the future, you think? Is that Mm -hmm. more designers will embrace that idea that there isn't, that there is gender fluidity and Mm -hmm. there's not a necessary thing? Uh, you know, we're all about time on this. So I, I wonder, fast forwarding as recently as 2008 to now, how would, would a DJ with a tie line be able to start uh, today in this day and age? Or is everything different now? I think it's it's definitely different than it was. Um, but I think that when we started, e-commerce wasn't, you know, a thing. It was more of a, let's put the collection up and just see if someone even like clicks on it sort of thing. Or there would be like stylists or magazines or celebrities that would pull from a website they wouldn't necessarily um, buy. And we definitely were not on the forefront of that, which, you know, Warby Parker started shortly thereafter. And like all these monster amazing D2C companies. Um, But that said, we we experienced a very different trajectory when we launched. It was like, Wholesale Barney's is the gatekeeper. Bergdorf Goodman. Right, so you kind of caught the tail end of that uh, big retail mm-hmm. moment and department stores and D 2 C. Just for the listeners, direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Right. So direct to consumer really like started to pop post 2010. There were like some clear, um, amazing trailblazers, and one of them we have like the pinch ourselves pleasure to work with, Zenny Optical. And started in 2000 um, out of the garage of the founder's house. And it was all e-commerce. And they've grown into a several hundred million dollar per year sales business all on the website. What it, What is it that you do for them? So we design, we have a Timo Zenni collection. I actually have some of them over there. But they're 
just I wear for everyone is the motto. And so right out of the gate, when we were first starting to work with them, the motto, I wear for everyone, just really resonated with us. Because we looked at Warby Parker and like amazing brand, um, so sophisticated, so elevated. The brand is very aspirational. And the founders themselves are very like cool, like kind of these Ivy League, like business school graduates who are just like, wow, you see them and they have like star power. Um, and, but they kind of masked their way in some ways mm-hmm. into that market, right? Totally. Well, I like how you use that verb. <laughs> Very much did that. Um, and they're just so savvy and they're like brand builders. But Zenny, totally different thing. Um, and that's one of the things I love about Zenny is that founded by, this was like her fourth or fifth career. Her and her husband were like PhD you know, students and professors and lab scientists. Like, you know, this was something they They're just, PhD scientists? Yeah, so they were at Berkeley in, you know, Northern Bay Area. And um, they are just multi-hyphenate, uh, like, academics. <laughs> so basically, if you want to have a successful fashion brand, you should either be a banker or a scientist. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> you know what? I think, I think if you have your own very distinct point of view, whether it does come from, like, a scientific lab or a business school classroom, if you have your own very distinct point of view, you keep it very concise to start a brand today. I think that's the most important thing to build a following on either social media or, you know, there's so many opportunities for like YouTube. I mean, these like demos on YouTube, if you have a beauty brand and you like are demoing a really unique way to put makeup on, Right. Or, you know, I think that that's an opportunity for someone to build that type of brand. So you're far more interested in influencers than, say, celebrities. You know, I think there's a big opportunity for influencers that have a greater mission, especially today. So if we were actually talking today, today, versus like just in the post-2010 e-com, I would say really someone who stands for something bigger than just like, here's a purse. Right. Like, here's a purse. Here's a tie. Here's a... Well, that feels like the old way, this old monolithic mm-hmm. way, this rarefied world of fashion designers who are a bit bubbled off. Like an ivory tower. Yeah. Not businessmen, not scientists, not, yeah. you know, regular folk doing a YouTube channel. Definitely. Like, I mean, look at Yves Saint Laurent. Like, look at Yves Saint Laurent and Karl Lagerfeld. That is the ivory tower of all ivory towers. Right. Do you want to be that big though? I mean, you mentioned uh, ties. I keep going back to it, but Ralph Ralph Lauren started there. You must hear that all the time. And he's got a mansion now on uh, Madison Avenue and a bunch of stores and a bunch of different lines. I mean, is that? I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. I love Ralph Lauren. I love Tommy Hilfiger. I am such a fan. I love Tori Burch. I love some of these like incredible success stories. Um, Tracy Reese. Tracy Reese is Awesome. And she, her and I did an anthropology line. And um, Aurora James, who started Brother Veli's, um, there are these like empire building people who are growing into these like iconic, you know, places in fashion. Um, and I think that it's becoming more and more diverse, which is important. I mean, look at Aurora James I'm obsessed with. Um, because if you come too big, you're the establishment and you're not yeah. the, you're not the anti- cool off look, correct? Well, that said, you know, the fashion world, anyone who's launching a brand will always have Ralph Lauren on their radar. And and be and especially if you're going to be in tailoring, if you're going to be in quote-unquote menswear, um Ralph Lauren is always going to be like 
right there in your well, face. Well, it's amazing how he's been able to stay there for the, this mm-hmm. many generations, this many decades, because there's always that tension between following and, and leading, right? Some like mm-hmm. fashion by nature is sort of like, oh, the new fashion is this. So everyone's, everyone's doing this, but the people defining the fashion are the ones going, I'm going to do something different. And somehow Ralph has stayed out there. And relevant. Yeah, that's right. And relevant. And he, you know, I think he's doing a phenomenal job still. I know that the current situation with the pandemic and with store closures from COVID, et cetera, like I would like to talk about Tommy Hilfiger and how he has just like, you know, with his Zendaya collaboration right at the onset and out, you know, premiere of like Euphoria was coming out. And that show just champions, um, really this new like Gen Z, what it's like to be growing up and, um, Euphoria, the HBO show, which I highly recommend. It's just very eye-opening if you have children. Eye-opening. <laughs> and it's, it has made a lot of friends of mine not want to have kids. Um, <laughs> I actually have a one-and-a-half-year-old, so I'm just like, I am, you know, excited to see how— Be afraid. Yeah, Be very exactly. afraid. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, but Euphoria didn't actually scare me at all. It, um, I think it showcased— talent and they really sourced and and it was starring talent that were actually those people they weren't like you know mm-hmm. putting a cisgender or cis you know female as a trans you know star yeah this was someone i just i love the cast the stars and um and zendaya and tommy that collection was awesome and it's just so different than what you know ralph has continued to do. Um, and I think just Tommy's like onto something and, and it's also authentic because he like, he has a very, um, you know, just multifaceted audience. Tommy Hilfiger does specifically. Timo, you as a creator and, uh, and your brand as a whole are sort of defined in many ways by collaborations. You have collaborated with so many different brands and other makers. Is that a, is that necessary for a brand today or fashion brand? A million percent. But I think I love that you brought that up because we grew um, with our collaborations. So that was something that allowed us to, to grow and become a profitable business, grow the team, um, be more and more excited with every opportunity, whether it was champion athletic wear, which since like, what, age four, been obsessed with champion. (laughs) It was like from that to, which is also like Hanes brands. So that brand to um, IHG Intercontinental Hotels Group. um, You designed their wardrobe. We Yes, we did a wardrobe for them. So it was the whole kind of, um, you know, the teams across the hospitality properties. So the hotels and the, you know, what what you're greeted with. And it's not just one um, type of hotel. It was like the corporate hotels to the more affordable kind of roadside hotels to, you know, that very high-end center of major metropolitan cities, like more luxury hotels. So it was like we had to think about all different types of climates, all different types of You know, whether it was like Phoenix, Arizona or Honolulu, Hawaii or Atlanta, Georgia, it was like just such a different and Philadelphia. I mean, it was like um, really a unique experience. And and my co-founders, Donna and Alan and I, we like 
loved that project. And it just was an opportunity for us to, and you know, and they also wanted to show it on the runway, which was like very, very interesting to see like hotel uniforms. I attended that show. <laughs> it, That's, was, it was remarkable. It was that so, is such a throwback to the 60s when the yeah. famous designers were doing the stewardesses and the, pardon yeah. me, the flight attendants on yeah. different Braniff and the Pan Ams and, and that sort of thing. Oh, Pan Am. Oh my God. <laughs> Pan Am is just like, I live, I live for that. I, I think the 60s are like, crisp, clean, bold, like we are moving, you know, it has never felt more relevant in my opinion. Like, Do you, you know, feel like that's part of your uh, thinking when you design that those same ideals from the sixties? Absolutely. We, we look at, um, you know, the Rolling Stones are just like the absolute, I mean, between the Rolling Stones and the strokes, but like even slightly a little bit before that, a lot of like jazz artists and, blues. Wow, like reference images from that period. But then also I had the pleasure of going to the TWA hotel um, this year for the first time. At JFK. Wow. Yes. (laughs) Um, So that to me has never felt more, you know, relevant. Well, as we celebrate 60 years of the Accutron watch moving forward and the importance of the 60s, do you think new designers going forward will always be influenced by that time period? I think it's going to be a period that is just an ongoing seminal, just like reference, just kind of like this, you, you almost have like a knee jerk. It's, it's like a startling reaction to some of the design that's come out of that period. And I feel like there's references everywhere, like, you know, from the Accutron, the 60s. It's like you look at Tesla, like that to me, there's... 60s references across that brand. It does um, feel retrofuturistic mm-hmm. uh, a bit, yeah, across the lines of that car. The 60s felt like such an explosion, not even the late 60s, like the, you know, psychedelic stuff, but just the early 60s breaking out of this kind of almost prison of the 50s and where style was extremely regimented and everything else and just saying, yeah, colors, lines, like, let's free it up. You know, it's a, it's a Let's sense get of our freak on. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's sixty seven. Oh, <laughs> it definitely. I feel like it was kind of like maybe pushed into the shadows before that, but I think. Um, well, yeah, that's right, and it suddenly was embraced by the culture <laughs> at large, which is which is yeah. what the innovators do. They push things forward until mm-hmm. until people can say, ah, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the feelings I have for this design anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. know, those kinds of Timo with designers being tasked with so many collections and collaborations per year. Do you think that is sustainable? What do you think is the future of fashion? I definitely do not feel like that is sustainable. The historic calendar that has been adhered to by designers um, is no longer going to be the model that any of us agree to. I mean, look at department stores. Their floors are empty and their e-commerce sites are lacking product as well because with the current situation, designers haven't been able to produce with factories not being open. Um, they're understaffed or a lot of furloughs, a lot of furloughs, a lot of very, very um, dire situations with brands and stores. So it was really, I don't want to point fingers at any aspect of the chain, but it was not only the media world, but it was the retail world um, that has been in need of ripe for reinvention for a long time. And now is uh, the time. And it's kind of like a forced reckoning. Um, I think that there's going to be much more kind of need-based drops and um, 
I hate to say see now, buy now, where now, any, any of that sort of like the buzzy terms from a few years ago, but it's going to be much more about addressing very specific needs that customers have. And even um, there's also a need for fantasy that our customer has. It's mm. not just like a need for a mask or a luxury, like bejeweled face covering. But That's not escape. what I'm talking about. But for escape, there's, um, you know, not only is leisure, comfort, you know, wear around the house. Like a lot of, specifically the Timo Island customer wants to dress for, you know, working from home in a way where they feel polished. And right. they feel like, you know, maybe they're wearing a blazer, but that blazer is a very soft jersey that feels like they just are still right. in their pajamas. Um, but it looks very polished. So pajama like formal. <laughs> pajama formal. I mean, and Julian Schnabel said it, said that trend in the best way. And Sorry, season, I was just going to say, and maybe seasonality won't be as important. There won't be a spring collection, a fall collection, a summer collection. It's sort of more in the demands of the client or the customer? I would say evolving more with need, trend, um, almost like kind of a, just an ongoing what the brand and the designer. I think selling through product is crucially important for brands to do. It's better for the environment. It's better for it's a sustain, more sustainable business practice from like a cash flow and a financial perspective. But sell through the product and simultaneously be making something that is an evolution that's not necessarily purely due to a season at a department store. Do you feel like in a strange way, um, you know, some of these larger retailers are the ones that have probably hit the most uh, difficulties with this thing. There might be some gaps in the market. Is this a strange sort of opportunity for the smaller, scrappier designers out there? Absolutely. I think this is the reset button that unfortunately has been the nail in the coffin for a lot of companies that are now gone and, and companies that we're fans of, companies that were doing a great job at various things. Maybe they were trying to do too many things. Um, and we were guilty of that too at, at various points in the Timo Island trajectory. But now we're extremely focused. And this reset button um, is an opportunity in a white space for companies to come in with very singular or very focused visions to move in, serve their customer, expand awareness, um, not just about a product, but about a mission, about a vision, uh, make a statement. Um, there's also a lot of vacant space in department stores <laughs> because <laughs> a lot of helps. these brands have, have gone away. So um, I actually saw a very interesting article with Business of Fashion, WWD, still reading them all the time every morning. And it's just, it's, they were hitting on the fact that emerging brands with momentum can move into that space. Right. And yeah, it's a big opportunity. And the footprint. And new know, voices. New voices. And, and the fact that the footprint will likely be shrinking. Um, you know, I think there'll, there'll be footprints that are just, you know, more concise. You mean the retail footprint? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's going to be just more, you know, opportunities for direct-to-consumer brands to set out ways to reach customers in physical spaces. I think real estate companies are going to have to address it in a way that's more flexible. And I think that there is really an opportunity in touching back on a question, circling back to if you were to launch a brand today. It's like, really have proof of concept. Really have proof of concept. And once that concept is proven, 
then, you know, move into that white space that's now exists in the apartment store, that vacant storefront on Bleecker Street. There's a well, lot that's of- what I'm saying. Vacant <laughs> storefronts probably across the country and an opportunity for a combination of maybe direct-to-consumer, online, combined with pop-ups in physical locations to have sort of personal interactions with brands. It seems like it's, it could be an, a really interesting time as we come mm-hmm. out of the crisis. I agree. I agree. I think it's, we have to look at it with, you know, acknowledge how much pain is being felt oh, right yeah. now. But it's a reset and to have optimism and just a positive outlook and to put pen to paper and one foot in front of the other for the future is really all that we can do and learn from from this and be more thoughtful, more intentional with what we create. And one of those designers is Timo Weiland. Timo, thank you so much for joining <laughs> yeah, us thank you for, thank you on for the Accutron Show. On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks. Thank you.